you need a Bible, raise your hands, or ushers can put one in your hands. But we are in John chapter 1. We are working our way through the book of John. And one of these days, we will be out of John chapter 1. But uh, today, I want to talk about seeing Jesus. And, um, and I'm not talking about physically, because unlike... We're so much different than, than the people in Jesus' time because they got to see Jesus, all right? You know, when he finally came on the scene, when he, his ministry was revealed, when he revealed himself to really to the, 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 the people at that time, they saw him in the flesh, God in the flesh. And, and, and they saw the miracles of Jesus. They saw the impossible. They saw the blind receive their sight. They saw the lame walk. They saw the dead raised. You know, they saw him feed the 5,000 with just a few fish. They saw him interact with people. They saw him love the sinner. They saw Jesus. They saw everything about him. Not so for us, okay? We don't get to see Jesus in the flesh, all right? We, 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 we aren't seeing Jesus dwell among us. We aren't seeing Jesus, God in the flesh, sitting next to you and talking with you, okay? We're not seeing that. The way we see Jesus is not through our physical eyes, but through spiritual eyes. We have to see Jesus by faith. And that's why even Jesus in the book of John chapter 20, when he tells the disciples, he's like, you guys have seen me and you believe. But blessed are those who have never seen me and yet still believe. You see, today, if you know Jesus is your Savior, you are believing in him even though you have not seen him. Kind of think about that for a moment. I thought about that. Think about that for a moment. You are putting your faith in something you have never, ever, never, never, never seen. And yet you believe it. You see, you see Jesus by your eyes of faith. And that's what we want to look at today is seeing Jesus. And we're looking at John the Baptist today again. And, and this is now John declaring to the people around him that Jesus is, this is who I've been talking about. So look with me in John chapter 1, starting with verse 29. Let me just read our text and we're going to dive into this. Oh, I'm, yeah, verse 29. I was thinking of something else. So it says this in verse 29. The next day... He saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he was sent... He, but he who was sent, sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom the, you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Do you notice a few times there John says, I saw, I saw. I have seen. In fact, he's like, I even want to reveal it to, to the people, meaning I want people to see this thing. So he's talking about the fact that he saw Jesus, the people saw Jesus. And that's what I want us to look at today, us seeing Jesus. And my question to you today is this, how do you see Jesus? And so let's look at four things about seeing Jesus today. And it's the, here's the first one. Do you see Jesus as Savior? 
do you see Jesus as Savior? So, again, in verse 29, he says, the next day. Now, the next day is actually what we talked on last week when, G, when, when in verses 19 through 28, when John was out preaching and baptizing people, that's when the Pharisees sent some people and like, dude, who are you? Why are you here? Why are you baptizing? Okay, that was the day before. Now, this is the next day. And so the next day it says, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I want you for a moment to pretend that you are a Jewish person in John's time. And remember, John's out in the desert somewhere. He's by the the river Jordan. And he's baptizing people. And you have gone out because you've heard about John the Baptist. You've heard about this guy out in the desert wearing camel's hair, eating locusts and, and, and honey. And, and he's, he's preaching to people. So you leave your home in Jerusalem and you go out into the desert and you see John. And then all of a sudden, you've been hearing John preach a message of repentance. And John's been preaching. I'm telling you. The kingdom of God is at hand. You need to repent. And your heart's starting to get convicted. And you're like, man, maybe I better, maybe I need to get baptized by John. And then all of a sudden, John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's what you would do at that time. You'd be like, whoa, time out, dude. What did you just say? Imagine this, if I were to get up here today and I didn't do anything except say this, behold, Jesus told me he's coming at noon today. How many of you would be like, Margaret, we're going to another church? Because you thought I would have lost it, wouldn't you? You would have been, that would have been so, such a, like a shocking statement that you'd be like, that can't be right. John makes a shocking statement to these Jewish people because you got to understand, Jewish people in John's time understood the lamb for a sacrifice. They, this wasn't like John was saying something they didn't know. When he says the lamb of God, they knew what that meant. Because every year at Passover, guess what they had to take? A lamb and slaughter it. And they had to kill it to remember this is what God did for our people when they were in slavery in Egypt. And the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Every day, two lambs, morning and evening, was sacrificed in the temple. The people knew that. The people also would take lambs for their personal sacrifices because of their sin. So these people understood. They knew and acknowledged what the lamb was about. They understood sacrifices. So when John makes this declaration, behold, the lamb of God walking right with you. He's the one that's going to take away the sin. The people would have been shocked. It would have been like, what? You see, here's the thing. The Jewish people knew about the sacrifices that had to be paid. 
They knew lambs were a sacrifice. They knew this stuff and, and they knew it all the time. But here's what they didn't realize. They didn't realize that the blood of an animal could remove their sin. That's what they didn't understand. You see, for them, the, 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 they had this idea that their, their righteous acts plus our obedience to the sacrifice equals redemption. But it didn't. You see, their righteous acts plus their obedience to sacrifice still equaled judgment. Because they, they, the, the blood of animals and, and human righteousness cannot remove sin. And so their equation still added up to nothing. You see, for them, the sacrifices was nothing more than religious ritual. How many of you remember back a long time ago, the Dunkin' Donuts, time to make the donuts commercial? Anybody other than me remember that commercial? I'm like, I'm not that old, am I? <clears throat> but that commercial was about this guy that every day, time to make the donuts. And he'd whip the cover off, go into the store, make the donut. The next day, whip the cover off, time to make the donuts. Whip the cover off, time to make the donuts. So for a Jewish person, it was every day, time to sacrifice the lamb. Time to sacrifice the lamb. And it was just a ritual, just a ritual, just a ritual. And they did not understand that because of their sin, and their righteousness couldn't get them saved. The blood of an animal could not save them. They were still under judgment. They were still under the wrath of God. They were still needing a savior. And so John is making this declaration. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now you and I, we read that and we're like, oh, amen, that's awesome. But how about if we break this down and get an understanding of what this means? First notice, he says, the lamb, not a lamb, not a lamb among many. No, the lamb, meaning this is singular. Only one lamb, only one lamb of God is going to take away the sin. A singular sacrifice in the book of Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 10, verse 12, it says that Jesus offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. You see, Jesus was the lamb, the final lamb, no more, the only lamb. That's why Jesus in John 14 makes the declaration and he's bold enough to be able to say, I tell you the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because he is the lamb, the last and final sacrifice, the only sacrifice. Now, here's where people really kind of um, get disgruntled with Christianity because people will say, you see, that it, it's that kind of, of statements that Jesus is the only way, that, that there's only one way. They say, you see, that's why Christianity is, is no good because it's, it's, not a, it's not inclusive, it's exclusive. So that's why we like other religions because every other religion provides so many ways. Well, here's the thing. Christianity is not exclusive. It's inclusive. Because that's why it says the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. And that word world, doesn't, it's not referring to the earth, but it's referring the people. That it's everybody, not just Jews. And again, that would have been shocking for these people because now all of a sudden, John is lumping in non-Jewish people in with Jews. And to a Jewish person, if you weren't Jew, you were called a Gentile, meaning you were, you were like an outcast. So John is saying the entire world, Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter who you are, where you live, what you've done, how bad your sin is. Jesus is for everything, for everyone. Now, here's where, again, we have to understand the, the, the application here. Jesus' death on the cross was once for all, the final sacrifice for all sin, for all people, for all time. But here's the thing. Even though it's for all people, it's not applied automatically to all people, okay? And that's where, the, that's where people get the, the hiccup in. Because when we start to hear, well, it's for all people, then that means that all people are automatically saved. No, they're not. The way this, the way this one sacrifice for all people work is that it is, it is applied through faith. You've got to come to the place where you personally Put your faith in Christ. You've got to come to the place where you believe in Jesus, where you say he is the one. You see, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, here's the way this has to work. You have to come to the place where you accept you're a sinner, and you have to accept that just like the Jews, your righteousness cannot save you. Your deeds, your good works cannot save you. And so you have to understand that because of your sin, you are still under judgment. Or as Ephesians 2, 3 says, that you by nature are still an object of God's wrath because of your sin. And so you have to come to accept that. And when you accept that, then you have to come to the place where you believe that Jesus is the one lamb. That Jesus is the one way. And you, you got to come to that place where you believe that he died on the cross as a sacrifice for my sin. And so I accept I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on that cross for my sin. And then you confess him. Jesus, I need you. I'm the sinner. My, my righteousness cannot save me. I need a savior. Jesus, be my savior. And so you believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. And as Romans says, that's how you are saved. That's how you become a believer in Jesus Christ. And so John is saying, there's one lamb, and this one lamb is going to take away the sin of the world. But notice the key word there, right before the lamb, he says, behold. That word behold means to look now. Don't delay. Don't procrastinate. John's like, he's, he's trying to reveal Christ to the people around him, to the nation of Israel. And he's like, behold, here's the lamb. He's like, I want you to look really fast. 
I want you to don't procrastinate on this. Don't look away. Look now. Look with intention. Here is the Lamb of God. And he's trying to get people to make a decision now. He's trying to get people to see Christ and make a, I mean, a split decision. He is who John is saying. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been told, hey, do you know Jesus is your Savior? Maybe you've been to church for a long time. Maybe you've heard this message time and time again. But I'm telling you, behold, today is the day that if you don't know Jesus, man, you need to look at him now. You need to look at him in this moment. You need to see him that he is your Savior, that he died for your sin, and that he wants you, he wants you to come to the place now. To receive him. And I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus today as your personal savior, if you have never confessed Christ, if you have never believed Jesus in your heart, I'm telling you, today is the day for your salvation. So, do you see Jesus as savior? Here's the second thing. Do you see Jesus as the greatest? Do you see Jesus as the greatest? Look at verse 30. This is, John says, this is he whom I said. So he's repeating himself from what he said the day before. And so he's just saying it again. He sees Jesus and he says, this is whom I said. After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now here's the thing. John the Baptist, age-wise, physically, was older than Jesus. But John's like, no, 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 he was already before me. He ranked before me. What John is saying is, he's like, okay, yeah, I may be older in age, uh, but in time, he's already. He's way before me. He's way above me. He's so much more than me. He's describing the, the awesomeness of Christ. He's describing the preeminence of Christ. He's talking about his deity. He's talking about the eternalness of Christ. He's like, man, this guy was already before any of us were. Jesus was already before anything was ever created. Why? Because he was God. And now, here we have God in the flesh. And so he's just like, man, this guy, he's the great one, not me. I mean, John had it going on. He, he's, he was the famous pastor of the age. He was, he, was the, the, you know, he was the one where the magazine, of the Christian magazine was going out. John, tell us the success of your ministry. Man, dude, you're, you're getting the flock from everywhere. How did you, you know, tell us, how did you grow so much? And John's like, it's not about me. It's not about me at all. I'm so small compared to him. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals because he's the great one. And he is trying to reveal that to, to the nation. In fact, if you look at verse 31, he says, I myself did not know him. Now he repeats that in verse 33, I myself did not know him. Now when he says, I did not know him, He's not talking about he did not know who Jesus was physically. Because remember, I said last week, they were related, okay? They, they knew each other. When he says, I did not know him, some of you, like the New American Standard Version says, I did not recognize him. And what he means by that is, I did not know until this moment that he truly was God. 
I did not really realize until this moment that he was the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. And, and it's like, it was like John's eyes just opened up and he's like, this is who this guy is. Yeah, I may be related to him, but no, nah, he's not my cousin right now. He is the Lamb of God. And so he goes on, he says, I did not know him, but for this purpose, I, became, I came baptizing with water that, I might, that he might be revealed to Israel. He's trying to reveal Christ and his, his preeminence, his greatness to Israel. He's trying to go, okay, I see how great he is, but do you guys see him? Do you see, can you see how awesome this guy is? Can you see his, his, his deity? Can you see his preeminence? Can you see how great he is? And he's trying to get the people of Israel to acknowledge this, to go, he's the great one. So let me ask you, do you see the greatness of Christ? Do you realize how great Jesus is? Now for us, we're like, yeah, I get that. Jesus is great. He's God and all that. But do you really see that? Because when you start to really just grasp the greatness of Christ, do you understand that you can trust that? Do you understand that when you, under, do you, you, when you see the true greatness of who Jesus is, that you understand that your life is in his sovereign hand? I don't know about you, but there's some things going on in our world right now that's, that's hard to watch, isn't it? I don't know about you, but do you ever, do, do you watch too much news and all of a sudden you can just feel the, the anxiety inside? There are things that come into our life. If we're not careful, it does. It produces that worry, that stress, that anxiety. There are things that happen in our life that bring pain and suffering. And, and, and the problem is, is when I'm not seeing Jesus, when my eyes are not on the greatness of who Christ is, guess what happens? I start to look at a couple different things. I start to look at the problem, the pain, and the things that bring the worry and the stress and the anxiety. Man, I'm watching the news all the time. I'm going from Fox to CNN to ABC to NBC. Oh my gosh, I'm watching it all the time. And I'm just filling my mind with everything broken in the world. That's all I see. And what happens is I get my eyes off the greatness of Christ and I start getting on how great the problem is and the, and the anxiety, the fear, man, it grows. And the other thing we start to look at is when we get our eyes off of Jesus and start see, stop seeing him, what we start thinking is, well, we got all this problem in my life. Well, I'm going to start putting my hope in things like money. I'm going to put, start seeing things like my career, my business. I'm going to start seeing things that like, you know, my relationships. How about this one? A political party, a particular politician. I'm going to put my hope in the fact that we are a great country. And we move our eyes off the greatness of who Christ is onto things that I'm telling you come up empty. It doesn't matter how great our country is or what po political parties in power or how great our government, it is small compared to the greatness of Jesus. If you would, keep your finger in John and turn over with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah in the 
the Old Testament. If you're not sure where Isaiah is, if you were to flip almost halfway into your Bible, you're going to come to the book of Isaiah. If you can't find Isaiah, nudge your neighbor and go, dude, or dudette. Help me find Isaiah. You're already there. Where are you at? But get to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. If you look up, I'm going to start with verse 5, verse 25. Now I'm going to read for about six verses. So if you just follow along with me, I want to read this because I read this this morning and I just see how this is, is you can see the greatness of Christ in here. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's some verses that I, I pray will give you that, that hope and that strength inside. So starting with verse 25, look at this. It says, to whom will you compare me? How many of you know that's a rhetorical question? Because there's nothing that can compare. He says, to whom will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out the hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, O speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right hand is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings with eagles, and they shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint." Do you see how you go through life without fainting, without getting like waylaid? The only way that you do that is you look up and you see the greatness of Christ. You've got to see my Lord is the great one. And when you can see the greatness of Christ, man, I'm telling you, we can walk through the hardship. We walk through the uncertainties of this world right now. And even though we, have to, we may have to go through some stuff, The thing is, even if I'm going through it, I grow faint, I grow weary, but when I look up and see the greatness of Christ, I know I can run and not grow faint. I can keep pushing on and not grow weary. Do you see the greatness of Christ? Here's the third thing. Do you see Jesus as the one who gives the spirit to empower and assure us? Do you see Jesus as the one who gives us the Holy Spirit? So look at verse 32. It says, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend upon him like a dove, and it remained on him. This is John's um, quick recap of the baptism of Jesus. 
Okay, and now I've said this before. The John, the John, the apostle, um, cuts right through the chase in so many things. He doesn't give a lot of details. He just gets to the 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 the, the big thing. Okay, here's what's on the table. Let's just get to that. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you want to read more detail about the baptism of Jesus, they get into it. Not John the the apostle. He's just like, okay, John the Baptist saw the the, the Spirit of God descend upon Jesus and remain on him over he's just like that's what it's about is that the fact that the holy spirit came upon jesus and stayed on him now why is that important because what this is what this symbolizes us and what this is telling us is that when the holy spirit descended upon jesus and remained on him it wasn't just like a quick little here and gone It was the Holy Spirit coming on him to stay with him. And Jesus' life from that moment on, from his baptism until his death, his life and ministry would be lived out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in the power of himself, but by the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. And we see that in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, um, after John baptizes Jesus, it says from that point on, Jesus is led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And it says that when he left from being baptized, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And he goes into the desert for 40 days and he's tempted by the devil. And the way he overcomes that is because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And then after 40 days, it says that when the devil left him, he went into Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the power, and then he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when you read in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus did one of his healing miracles, it said that the power of the Lord was with him to heal. It's very interesting. Because here's the question that should pop in your head. Now, wait a minute. Why does Jesus need the Holy Spirit when he was God? He was fully God, fully man. So why would Jesus need to have the power of the Holy Spirit? And why would the power of the Lord have to work through him if he was God? Now, I'm going to try my best to explain this because how many of you know this is one of those things that our finite minds cannot truly understand. Here's the best way I think I can explain this. The one thing we do know, Scripture in the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Everything that a human is, Jesus was. As we saw in in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the word, meaning God, Jesus, the word, became flesh and he dwelt among us. He became flesh. Everything that you are as a human, he was, except for one aspect. You remember what that was when I taught it? He didn't sin. But everything else in his humanity, Jesus was. He was fully human. But also in that human flesh, he was God. Now, here's, here's, I think, how this works. Is Jesus was fully God, fully human, but in order to walk in his humanity, in order to live completely as a human, to experience everything that a human would have to experience, he has to hold back his deity. 
He chose not to operate the deity through the humanity. He allowed the humanity to move and operate so he could experience everything and his deity was veiled, held back and the only way he could, he could operate as a human was by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had to come on him. Now, was he devoid of the Holy Spirit before? No, but yet the Holy Spirit comes on him. I'm telling you, this stuff blows your fuses in your brain. All I know is that Jesus was fully man, operated as a man, lived as a man, walked as a man, was tempted like a man, in every single way was human, but yet he still held back his deity and he needed the strength of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Lord to work through him. It's heavy. And, and Jesus in his humanity, needed the strength of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, as a man or a woman, completely flesh, do you need the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life? Yeah, everybody be like, uh, yes. You see, the Holy Spirit, when Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, remember, he says to the apostles in John 14, I'm going to send you a helper. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. Helper. The Holy Spirit wants to help you and I live like a, a believer in Christ. He wants, to, he wants to equip us to do ministry. He wants to convict our hearts about our sin. He wants to change and transform us more into the image of Christ. He wants to help us walk this life out day after day to be more successful, to live like Christ. And the only way you and I do that successfully is that every day, guess what you need to be praying? Holy Spirit, I need your help. Every day. I don't know about you. Anybody other than me get tempted? You need the Holy Spirit to help you through that, don't you? Anybody other than me just get exhausted in doing ministry? You try to be a witness, but it feels like you come up empty. and You're like, oh, what's the use? Man, you need the Holy Spirit to continue to help you do that. Anybody other than me get, you just feel frustrated because you just feel like you're not measuring up in your Christ-likeness? You need the Holy Spirit empowering you and equipping you. Jesus had the Holy Spirit empowering him. We also need the Holy Spirit empowering us. So, so, but here's the second thing. So we have the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, but look at verse 33. He says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So this is the second thing. Not only does the Holy Spirit empower us, but now we also have the Spirit, Holy Spirit living in us to assure us of something. Now, let's, let's dive a little bit deeper in that word baptize. The word baptize there, <clears throat> it means to immerse, to submerge, or to dip under. The idea is to be completely saturated, to, to be completely filled in a spiritual sense. Kind of think of it this way. If you're washing dishes and you put glass, um, glasses in the water and you take a glass and you, you put it into the sink full of water, you are baptizing that glass because you've submerged it. You, you've, you've immersed it in water. Now that glass is completely saturated. It is completely filled with water. 
This is what John is talking about. He says that he who the Spirit remained on, he will now baptize with the Holy Spirit. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is a spiritual thing. When Jesus said, I'm going to send the helper, when the Holy Spirit comes, this is about you spiritually. Now, I'm trying to get this where you understand it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, we've got to understand, it's not just about imparting spiritual gifts, but spiritual life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about just being able to speak in tongues, but being born again. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about being charismatic, but being in the church. Okay? This is the initial, when, when he's talking about that, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to baptize you. What he's talking about is the initial coming to Christ. Okay? That's why John says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that there is one spirit and we are all baptized into one body, the body of Christ. So when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you come to that place where you're like, Jesus, come into my life, be my Savior. At that very moment, the Holy Spirit baptizes you, submerges you, fills you. You are filled and dwelt with the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 tells us that if you are in Christ, you are, that if you are in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within you. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. You have been baptized, immersed, saturated, completely filled, head to toe with the Holy Spirit. And he dwells within you. Now, why is that important to understand that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? Because not only does he empower, but empower you, but he assures you of something. And the assurance is this. Let me ask you, don't raise your hand, but do you ever have those moments where, here's where the, 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 the enemy is so good, that when you mess up, guess what he loves to tell you? You've lost your salvation. Because if you were truly a man or woman of God, you wouldn't be doing this. If you were truly saved, you wouldn't be acting this way. So you must not be saved. You've probably lost your salvation. And I'm telling you, there are Christians who are chained to this. Believing. I can lose my salvation. And so there are Christians who beat themselves up and they keep thinking, I got to work harder. I got to work more. I got to do more so I can't lose this thing. Can I tell you, you're not losing it. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is about. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 tells us this. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Ephesians 4.30. Go ahead and leave that verse up there if you would, Edwin. But in Ephesians 4.30 says that we are sealed in the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. When you come to know Christ, and that idea of sealed is, is like in the ancient days when a king would take wax, and if he had a letter, he would take wax and he would dip, drip it onto the letter and take his seal and seal it. And that seal could not be broken. It sealed that, let that letter shut. So when you know Christ and, and the Holy Spirit comes in your life and he dwells within you, guess what he has done? He has vacuum sealed you. 
Kind of like one of those plastic things. That, and, 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 and that meat in there, man, it's sucked in. And, and the only way that seal is broken is you got to cut it. But it's sealed. You are sealed in the Holy Spirit. And that, I love this, it says, and the Holy, who is a guarantee of your inheritance. A guarantee. When you buy something, you like a guarantee, don't you? Isn't that one of the first things you ask? Hey, does this come with a guarantee? Because what does a guarantee tell you? That if anything happens to it, we guarantee. We promise you we'll fix it. We promise you we'll replace it. We promise you a money back. Whatever it is, this is what we'll do. God's saying, listen, if you know, if you know my son and you believe in him, you've got the Holy Spirit in you, and it is guaranteeing you your inheritance until you get it. So guess what? On this side of heaven, are you going to be perfect? Nope. But are you going to lose your salvation? Nope. Because you know Christ. And if you know Christ, the Holy Spirit has sealed you. And you have that assurance of knowing, I've got an inheritance kept up in heaven for me. And on this side of heaven, there's going to be days I'm doing great and days I'm going to blow it. But I know the Holy Spirit lives in me. Jesus Christ is my Savior, and he guarantees me my salvation. Amen? And then lastly, here's the fourth thing. Do you see Jesus was sent, initiated by God? Do you see that Jesus was sent, initiated by God? And then verse 34, John just makes a great declaration. He goes, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, some of you may have a translation that says that this is the chosen one of God. And the reason why you may have the Son of God or the chosen one is that some manuscripts are different. And I tend to go with that it's the chosen Son of God because in Isaiah chapter 42, it actually says, uh, God is telling Isaiah, he says, this is my servant, my chosen one, whom I've put my spirit upon. See, I, I, I picture Jesus as the chosen lamb by God. You see, in before Jesus, it was people taking their lamb and they'd carry that lamb and they'd bring it to another person. And every day it was a person taking the lamb to a person and that lamb would be sacrificed. But here it's God giving the lamb to man. It's God initiating this thing. Because for centuries, man has been trying to work their way to God only to fail. Trying to be more righteous only to fail. Try to do sacrifices only to fail. Try to obey only to fail. Only coming up empty, only coming up empty time after time after time. And God finally, once and for all, sends his only son, the Lamb of God, as a for us. He initiated that thing. For God so loved the world. For God so loved people. He gave his son to be sacrificed for us. And that whoever believes in him shall have what? Eternal life. You see, Jesus is the finisher of me trying to get it done. Jesus is the finisher of us trying to get it done. No, no, no. Quit working your way to God. You can't get it done. The only thing you can do is by faith say, Jesus, I need you. Amen? Let's get ready to take communion at this time.
If I could just have the worship team come up, we're going to close with a song afterward. But like I say here is for you to take communion here at Harvest, you don't have to be a member of this church, particular church, but you do have to be a member of the body of Christ. Have you personally come to know Jesus as your Savior? Have you come to that place where you've accepted you're a sinner, that you have believed in Jesus as your Savior and you've confessed him, I need you in my life? I'm going to pray here in a second, and I would, I would encourage you, if you don't know Christ, this is a behold the Lamb of God was given for you. That today would be the day for your salvation. And as I pray, I would just encourage you just to examine yourself and say, God, I, I, I'm a sinner. Jesus, be my Savior. Come into my life. I need you. But if you're not a, 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 a believer in Christ today, I ask that when the elements are passed, let them go by. Because the the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that communion, when you're taking the Lord's Supper, you are proclaiming the Lord's death. You are making the statement, I believe in Jesus that he died for me. If you've never done that, I'm gonna ask that you just let the elements pass by. But if you come to know Christ, even in this moment, and you say, Jesus, be my savior, man, I'm welcoming you. Take the communion. So let me pray. And then we'll pass out the elements and just hold on to them and then we'll all take together. So Father, we thank you for the Lamb of God that you sent for us. Lord, all of our righteous acts are but filthy rags before you. We, we have no righteousness in our own. But Jesus, you came and you became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, God, you initiated this thing. You gave Christ for us. He's the Lamb of God that takes away all of our sin. And even this morning, Father, if there would be anyone in here who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, who have never confessed that, they, that they're a sinner, have never come to that place of just saying, Jesus, I need you as my Savior. Come into my life. That even right now, Holy Spirit, you would just be prompting that in their heart. But Father, I thank you that we can partake of communion. It reminds us, Jesus, you your, your body was broken for us. Your blood was shed for us. You were the Lamb of God slain for the sin of the world. And we remember that this morning. And we just thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Savior, save thy strength.